Who you calling crazy? Welcome to Who You Calling Crazy. This is a unique mental health podcast. We are erasing the stigma and elevating and normalizing dialogue around mental health. Of course, we'll be sharing practical therapy tips, but most importantly, we'll be diving into the stories and vulnerability of people you know or want to know. I'm your host, Juliette Kuhnley. So I'm Mary Beth Samich. I am a licensed therapist in private practice. I own a group practice in North Carolina called Your Journey Through. I primarily work with teens and young adults around issues of family dynamics. So enmeshment, boundaries, communication, healthy relationships with family or others, and a lot of anxiety. It usually presents as anxiety a lot of the time. Um, I also mentor other therapists looking to grow their mental health platforms on Instagram in a modern way to become more accessible and reach, reach more people. So that's another side passion of mine. Sure. And that's how we met. So we've been Insta friends, but this is our first kind of, you know, real time dialogue. <laughs> yes. And I love meeting people kind of on zoom that we've connected on Instagram. I know. I know. And don't you feel particularly over the past few years, I mean, therapists are showing up on Instagram in such different ways and it's just so inspiring and so beautiful. And so I love that you're, you're helping people with that, encouraging people to do that. And it's been really rewarding. Yeah. It's been really cool to watch all the growth that's happened. And I created my course, Insta Growth for Therapists in 2020 during the pandemic, when I saw this like huge need arise, obviously for more mental health support. And I had grown my own Instagram account and platform, um, and, you know, promoting mental health. And I said, if I can help other therapists do this and connect with these people, because there's a therapist for everyone out there, they just have to find the right fit. Uh, you know, how helpful could that that's be? Right. right. Um, so. Great. Okay. So tell us how you ended up in this profession. Give us a little background. I know we always get that question as therapists, but, um, and my answer is usually I've been on both sides of the couch, right? I was a client forever and knew like, yeah, I want to do that for somebody. Um, but how did you end up here? I love how you said that on both sides of the couch. <laughs> Um, so I grew up in a really small rural town with very limited access to mental health resources. You had to drive 45 minutes to an hour to go to a therapist. And since that was the case, you didn't go unless something was terribly wrong, right? Because it was so inconvenient and inaccessible and growing up in that community with that lack of resources. I mean, it was really evident in the way that people lived and Mm -hmm. the culture that was created And I just felt that growing up in my nervous system. I was like, I think things could be healthier in this way. And I kind of dove into, even at a very young age, just a passion for learning about Mm -hmm. mental health and psychology. I remember being in like ninth grade and reading psychology today in the high school library Yes, (laughs) and like ordering a subscription to my house. Like I was reading Cosmo. I was reading psychology today. Right. We were so cool. I was the same. Yeah, exactly. And I just, I feel fortunate though, that I was one of those people that kind of knew I wanted to do this work from a very young age. I saw a lot of my peers get to college and still they were unsure what they wanted to do. And I think that's actually a very normal experience uh, to have, but I just kind of was always laser focused on, I want to be a therapist Mm -hmm. and I want to work in family dynamics because they're so fascinating to me and how they really shape and mold a person. So that's right. Now, do you have siblings? No, I'm an only child. Uh, not by choice. My parents tried to have children for, I think a collective 12 years and they had me. So mm. they thought about doing adoption or foster care, but could never really agree because 
Um, actually, the in terms of gender roles, my mom was pretty much the at work one. And my dad, uh, he worked, he was actually a, a correctional officer at a prison, mm-hmm. but he was much more flexible where he could take care of me more and do more of like the housework and things. And he was like, I don't think I can do another like little baby. <laughs> and my mom was like, well, I'm intimidated to bring a teen into the house. So they could just not really ever agree. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think your, you know, position as an only child informs your understanding of family systems now? Well, I think only children are in a unique circumstance and I'm just talking generally, there's always exceptions, but I do think they're kind of imposed into the adult dynamic a little bit more Mm. because there is not another child sibling. Like it doesn't create this kind of separation into adults and children and groups. So I just felt very much more attuned, I think, to the dynamic and what was happening. And um, just, yeah, I, I think sure. that I also had a lot of exposure to both enmeshment and differentiation. And those are two of the things that I now specialize in yeah. working with in families. So, yeah. Can you give us some context around that and maybe yeah. explaining for the audience what those words mean too? Absolutely. So enmeshment is often disguised as just like a really strong closeness within a family. And there's often unwritten rules at play. So these are the families that are like, my family is my everything. Like I have to spend every holiday with them, that kind of thing. And there's often emotional consequences if you don't do those things and you don't challenge it. A lot of the phrases used are, you know, it's always been this way. This is just the way it is. A lot of times your own emotional experiences aren't really honored because you're like in this system and there's just mm-hmm. expectations at play, regardless of how they might make you feel or what your preferences may be. And that kind of system is typically developed uh, when differentiation doesn't occur in adolescence, mm-hmm. healthy differentiation, which means you're going through this process of separating yourself from your family and becoming an independent adult. So, um, I now help families work through that both on both sides. So I work with the teenagers and the young adults who are going through the process of differentiation and becoming their own person. They can still be close to their family, but in a healthy, there's healthy separation there. Mm -hmm. And then I also support the parents who are struggling with the differentiation process because that's hard too, for parents to let go in that way. And, Um, I do a lot around the uh, parent identity development model where a lot of parents have children and they think they have this picture in their mind of what that child's going to be like Mm -hmm. based on their preferences usually uh, for that child. Then it's this um, kind of journey of, okay, wait, this is my child. This is the real child that I have. And I need to adjust my expectations and learn how to communicate and respect them for who they actually are. Mm-hmm. So for you as a child, you kind of got swept up in this more enmeshed mm-hmm. expectations. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. I wouldn't say like within my parent system, but within the larger family system. Okay. Yep. Do you remember realizing that? Do you remember when you kind of realized, Ooh, this, I feel this dissonance here. Yeah. I think one major revelation was the difficulty setting boundaries Mm -hmm. and even like a fear of non-compliance. Like that's not an option. (laughs) Sure. So it looks like people pleasing and just being a yes kid. 
Yeah. And not, you don't even recognize it as people pleasing. It's just kind of like, this is how we do things. Mm -hmm. Don't ruffle feathers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so did you learn to, to set those boundaries and what was that like within the system? Yep. Yes. It's funny. I was actually talking about this with someone yesterday and I said, you know, I feel like I've really mastered boundaries in my personal relationships, like friends and family. Sometimes I still struggle with them in business though. And I'm still mastering them in a business take. And Hmm. so that has been a really interesting exploration for me, but, um, yeah, I would say, but now boundaries are something I'm so passionate about in my work with clients because I mean, they've, they're life-changing everything. Mm -hmm. What do you think the difference is between personal and business? Why is it harder for me? I think I was, I mean, it's the culture that I grew up in for sure. Even being in like a really small rural town, but it's like, work hard, put your head down for the reward later. Mm. And I can sometimes still fall into that mentality where I'm like, okay, I'm accepting more than I have capacity for because Mm -hmm. I'm like, it'll pay off later, but I need to sit and realize that I'm already there. I've already arrived. I don't need to continue pushing and taking on so much and doing more than is good for me because I'm in this place where I can actually rest in like what I've achieved. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to kind of get to accepting and being in that place when you've lived in this mentality of keep striving, keep striving. Mm -hmm. And something that I've worked through in my own therapy is my coping mechanism to get out of that small rural low-income town was to achieve. And so anytime I am triggered with the threat of going backwards, I grasp for achievement. Mm-hmm. And that's a, your sense of value and worth mm-hmm. very tied into that. Mm-hmm. I'm an Enneagram three. I was so. just about to say that girl. <laughs> Me too. Yes. Oh, funny. Uh-huh. And I'm just now digging into that. That's, that's a new for me. I am really just now digging into the Enneagram stuff, but as you're saying it, I can feel a reaction of like, Ooh, that's very familiar. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. (laughs) So, and for people that don't really understand the Enneagram and I'm very just surface level, just starting that research, but we're starting that digging into that, but the, the three is an achiever. Mm -hmm. And I know that like, for me, my work is around understanding, you know, I'm valuable just as I am without needing to go and do. And also for me trying to discern between when is it almost performative, Mm -hmm. whatever it is I might be doing versus actually values aligned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like to ask the question to myself and to other clients that identify as threes or as overachievers of who are you without the doing? Mm-hmm. That's and it. like, we just, they just sit there and they're like, oh, <laughs> no idea. <laughs> what do you mean? Yes. So without the doing, and then just how we define rest is very complicated. Yeah. And even when I'm, you know, allowing myself, <laughs> even putting it that way, allowing myself to rest is my mind resting or is it somewhere else? That's it. Yeah. So does it manifest as anxiety for you or has it, it ever? You, it definitely did around college. It's kind of when it was it like hit its peak, which is also around the time I started seeking my own therapy. It was also really recommended by my graduate program to become a therapist that we'd be in our own therapy. Good. I feel like I kind of had my big, um, aha moment in college when I, I was double majoring, I was double minoring. I was president of two clubs in a sorority. Like it was, it was too much. And I, I had an anxiety attack one day and I just kind of sat on my dorm floor and I was like, Nope, 
this is it. Yeah. <laughs> this is not going to continue. Um, it can't. No, it cannot. And I went to grad school and promised myself that I would not take on all the things Mm -hmm. and I didn't. And I had the best time. Like Mm -hmm. I only engaged in things that I truly like felt passionate about and I didn't take on extra stuff. Mm -hmm. And I just, I mean, I lived near central park and I would just spend time there and it was Mm -hmm. so nice. And, Mm -hmm. and that was the same time around the same time I was also engaging in my own therapy because I was in grad school and uh, that's when things really turned around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so much about getting the ego out of the way too, for us achievers, you know, mm-hmm. um, because we are helpers. And so we clearly do this because we really, really care. Mm-hmm. And when the ego starts to get in, which I find that for me, it shows up mostly through the social media stuff. Mm-hmm. In what way does it do that for you? Uh, it's hard to, to not get caught up in the metrics. Mm-hmm. And I'm constantly trying to remind myself oh, that that's my ego. <laughs> if yeah. I'm just aligned with, you know, these are, this is how I want to show up on social media. And that, that needs to just be enough. That place feels good. Mm-hmm. Then when I get into the, oh, all this effort and for what, and mm-hmm. you know, this, it, this didn't resonate, this post didn't resonate with so-and-so that's ego. Yeah. And I honestly am a believer that when you're forcing things out of ego or out of obligation, they don't do as well because it's like the times where I have this like insightful thought that I'm like, Oh, I can't wait to share that. Or I feel really inspired. Like those are the posts that take off because there's so much like passion and energy behind them versus me sitting there and being like, Oh my gosh, I haven't posted in three days. I have to put something out there. And then, and then it like reinforces the scarcity mindset when it flops, because you're not, it's not even something that you've had a lot of passion about. Right. Which goes back to that performative kind of when you trying, when you're trying to curate it. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that there is just so much more freedom too. And, um, I'm going to go with what just has sparked something in me mm-hmm. and share it. It's a lot more organic. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So what about as a parent now? And so you have, we have one child, mm-hmm. um, a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so now with all the work that you've done in this arena, how does that inform how you show up as a parent? Wow. Well, so I, when I first went into, um, the psychology world, I did a lot of child development work and I learned a lot, but it's funny because I found that even though I have that knowledge, I prefer to just be present with my daughter and just like take her for who she is and take it moment by moment. I almost had this vision that I was going to be like this woke parent. <laughs> uh-huh. And I'm like, I just want to be present. Uh-huh. With you. Like, I think that's actually going to be the most valuable thing in mm-hmm. the end. Mm-hmm. It's really quite simple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I'm like this theme of just uh, either just parenting the child that you have. Mm-hmm parenting the child that's in front of you. But I think we can translate that to how we conceptualize our own selves too. Again, in this context of how we've just talked about ourselves as these achievers, instead of just who, who are we, who's right in front of us? Let's meet her where she is. Mm -hmm. And it's helped me set boundaries. It's helped me give myself more compassion, Mm -hmm. more grace. Um, it's honestly been a really parenthood has been a healing experience for me. Like, yes. Yes. So therapist to therapist, what's your experience of you? So I, you know, I I laugh because my husband will sometimes be like "Mm, therapy word. 
<laughs> or, you know, or there you go again. Um, so there's that there's our partners and they're, they're used to this, but, but then also other people in my life where I hear the things all the time, like, are you analyzing me? Mm. Uh, you know, I don't know. So just therapist to therapist, what is that like? <laughs> so a lot of times I would say the most feedback I get is that my friends will say that I separate it pretty well. Like I am very real and unfiltered and opinionated, yes. like in my friendships in a way I would never be in my work professionally. Um, so I think they see that and mm-hmm. I, I, it's helpful for me to have that separation and to mm-hmm. be authentic in both spaces, just mm-hmm. in different ways. But, oh yeah, my <laughs> has definitely been like, you're therapizing me. I didn't ask for <laughs> exactly like occasionally now and then it used to be like more when I was in grad school and that's what I was constantly consuming was right. content. Um, but less, definitely less. So now. Yeah. Okay. Can I ask, and, and that you can say no, but coming into <laughs> and observing the in-law dynamics too, we don't need to get specific, yeah. but, but um, has that been interesting? Oh, I love, um, posting like reels about like mother-in-law stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's not, the funny thing is it's not about my mother-in-law because I actually, I love her. Like uh-huh. my mother-in-law and I have an amazing relationship and, um, I, it has been interesting. Sure. Cause of course I specialize in family dynamics. My husband's the middle child. There's so many dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's fascinating to me, but I did get really lucky in the in-law department. And I'm not just saying that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what, so boundaries, we talked about boundaries. Let's talk about how boundaries show up as self-care in self-care for you now. Um, you know, throughout this podcast, we always talk about we try to talk about self-care in a more nuanced way since it's been very watered down. Uh, so what does that look like for you in true practice? I mean, there's always the self-care that's like not exciting, like paying your bills or scheduling a dentist appointment or like, I don't really love working out. I know it's good for me and I feel better afterwards, but it's a hurdle to get myself to like schedule a workout mm-hmm. <laughs> um, when I'd rather be doing some other things. Mm-hmm. And so there's those pieces. And then for me, it's with the overachiever mentality, it's about time blocking because if I don't actually create a time block for myself to do that self-care. I know that I'm apt to fill it with a random client that reaches out and asks if I have availability or, um, you know, anything else really. So it's about protecting my time for me. Yes. And how does that work as an entrepreneur? Let's just talk about entrepreneur stress too, right? Because we, we always have something that we can be doing or questions that need to be answered questions. We didn't even know were there. So just talk to me about that mindset. Yeah. So that's, this is what I'm so passionate about in mentoring other therapists in the realm of social media growth, diversification of income, course creation, um, paid collabs, all ways that you can kind of get outside of that one-on-one client grind and be able to have time freedom and flexibility Mm -hmm. with your life and your schedule. Because without doing those things, I know that I wouldn't have the flexibility and time that I do now. So Uh, right now, I mean, I see clients Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Mm -hmm. um, from about 12 to six in that range and spend the mornings with my daughter and do things around the house, of course, too. And then Mondays and Fridays, 
I do content creation and then I might have um, childcare for a few hours and do some self-care stuff. So mm-hmm. either go to a workout class or get a massage or go get my hair done, my nails done. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of how I fit that in right now. Yeah. What's your clue either physically uh, or mentally that, that things are building up, that overwhelm is coming, whether we're, whether in the entrepreneurial realm or just, I mean, just all of it, just the life, what's your clue? How do you know? This one is so clear to me. It's whenever I get an invitation to do something, whether it be business related, something that I would normally be really excited to do. And I almost get this like anger of like, oh, don't ask me to do one more thing. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. And, or it could even be like a friend reaching out and being like, do you want to have lunch? And I'm almost like frustrated because I can't fit it anywhere. Yeah. And that's my clue that I'm like, oh no, we need to, we need to pull back a little bit and to make space. Yes. Yes. What's the most beautiful thing that you watch in client transformation or witness? (laughs) There's nothing like a deep insight moment. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. Mm. (laughs) This this is how I know, like, this is my passion because I am just on a therapy high every time this happens. Like for the rest of the day. Like if I have a client I've been working with and it can be a couple sessions, we could be working together for years and they can still have these major aha moments of, oh my gosh, I had a client who went through an identity transition over a period of years. And recently we were, I, we were talking about how they were just really craving spending time with their authentic self, Mm. like figuring that out. And like, it was just this, like the most powerful Mm. moment where we just kind of like sat there and soaked it in for a while. And Mm. like the client just kept having like this, like experience of, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I was trying to do this whole time. Mm -hmm. And like alone time with myself, like my real self, not the self I was putting out there. So Um, yeah, that was powerful. That was like one of the most recent ones I can remember, but, uh, there's so many that happen and it is the most rewarding part of my work. It's so powerful because it's a lot of, it's just an energy Mm -hmm. an energetic feeling too, where it's just like, that's it. Mm-hmm. And even if you can't put your finger on it, you can, you can feel it when you're in the therapeutic space. Yeah. Um, and what's yeah. so cool about this work is like, even as a therapist and I'm in my own therapy still, because mm-hmm. I believe that good therapists do that. Yes. agree. <laughs> um, yeah. And it, what's so cool about therapy and the process and just being human is like, there's always going to be opportunities to do that again and again in your life. Mm-hmm. That you aren't even aware of yet. Right. It's like some of the best sessions that I have with clients are when they come with nothing in mind to talk That's about. Right. That's right. And then we just get underneath there and some aha moment occurs. That's right. Like not conscious to you yet, but it will be. Yes. There's that. And there are the things where it's, it might be something that someone has heard even countless times, but it clicks in a different way. Mm -hmm. I also love those moments when it's like, oh, that's what it means in my bones. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So other kind of just favorite, do you like, do you have any quotes or mantras that you love? I'm a mantra person. So, well, I can only think of one right off the bat (laughs) because my therapist said it to me and I've used Mm -hmm. it with other clients and it's really resonated, but in terms of expectations, especially in relationships, I, you know, I remember sharing that I was really frustrated with a relationship and that I wasn't receiving what I hoped out of the relationship. And I just kept like 
holding on to this hope that it was going to change. And my therapist said to me, Mary Beth, you're going to the hardware store for milk. Stop. Mm. <laughs> I was like, oh, oof. Okay. I love that. Yeah. And I have found myself using that with a couple of clients in similar situations and they felt the same way. And they were like, I needed to hear that. Yes. Yes. It's a, a like aligning your expectations with reality, but this is much more cutting way to say it like, Ooh, yeah. What am I doing? Yeah. yeah. Like sometimes your therapist needs to call you out. Totally. Totally. And when you have that relationship though, um, you can hear it in a different way. Favorite therapy myth to bust. Oh, um, that there has to be something so yeah. wrong yeah. for you to go. I am a believer that therapy is for everyone. And sure. There are times in life when it's appropriate to take breaks and use those skills and, you know, just chill for a while, but it's always, always an asset. There's nobody that can't benefit from therapy. And the people that tell you there's nothing they could tell me. I already know everything about myself are some of the people that don't know anything about themselves. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. And those people are going to be somewhat resistant to coming. Um, so I find myself talking about that resistance a lot too, that when you have the right fit in the right vibe with your therapist, just like we were saying before, you will be able to hear it. You will be able to let down some of those walls that maybe you didn't even know were there mm -hmm. and that it doesn't have to be this really scary and dramatic thing. Cause I think the way we talk about it, sometimes regular people hear that like, Oh, I don't want to know what's under there. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm fine. I don't, I don't need you to point out these things that can be really intimidating. Mm -hmm. But when you, again, when you have the right fit, the therapist can walk you through that in a mm -hmm. way that's not, it's not going to like rock your world <laughs> necessarily, yeah. unless you want it to. Right. But that's a great point too. Mm, what else? Just any kind of last, um, we're all pro mental health, um, tending to your mental health, other little gifts that you'd give to our listeners. I just think that going back to self-care, like how underrated it is, mm -hmm. like it, it's almost become this term that is just so thrown around that people are like, oh, self-care, self-care, self-care. But what does that actually mean to you? And what does it look like in practice? And it might surprise you. That's right. right. Yeah. We've started calling it in our practice, like soul care, just giving it a little extra oomph. Yeah. I love uh, that. What does your soul need today in this next moment? Mm -hmm. um, what does your heart need in this next moment? Right. Cause, and that, that's again, the beauty of Instagram and social media is that we're allowing people to have more understanding of all of these things, but you're starting to see these words more and more. And that's what I mean when I say like, it's been watered down mm -hmm. and people can get really like, okay, okay. I get it. Self-care, blah, mm -hmm. <laughs> but really pausing to ask what that means for you individually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And maybe even not focusing on the behavior yet, but what does your prioritization of it look like? Mm. How often do you allow yourself to practice something for yourself? Like are you giving yourself an hour a week? Are you weaving it into your day multiple times throughout the day and, or maybe just a couple times a week? And like, what is the impact that then has on your mental health as an overall picture? Mm -hmm. So going back to your idea of just how you prioritize time blocking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That works for me usually. Right. So I really want people to hear, you know, that to, as two therapists talk through these things, that we are saying that this is a continual journey for us as well. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a big part of my mission around ending the stigma is having people understand. And you've mentioned several times your own therapeutic work throughout, work throughout this conversation, 
that that's, that's really important for people to understand. Like, yes, we're human first and we're doing this work alongside you. Mm-hmm. And it allows us to show up in that space with you to serve you as, as best we can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like this isn't a hierarchical relationship, right? This is a collaborative relationship, helping you move through difficult things in life or just the journey of development in life. So um, any therapist that kind of imposes like this hierarchical system or authoritative vibe may not be a super great fit. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thanks for taking the time to share a little bit about your own personal story, the work you do with people really inspired and where can we find you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at your journey through, um, or my website, yourjourneythrough.com. We, I also have a podcast that we, I co-host with another friend called my therapist things. Beautiful. Thanks Mary Beth. I really appreciate it too. Thank you. So who you calling crazy? I think you mean human. We are removing the stigma y'all say it loud and proud. Yep. I go to therapy. 